Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Have you ever experienced a gender dysphoria, feeling uncomfortable in your own skin, in your God-given identity, your biological reality as a male female? We're going to cover what the church says about this, what it says to you if you're experiencing this, or maybe guidance for you if you are working with a loved one who's struggling with their identity. I have seen this time and time again in my work, especially over the last five years of young men and women who are uncomfortable in their skin, uncomfortable questioning, am I a boy? Am I a girl? And they're asking this question within a religious context. And they know that the church calls us to embrace and to dive deeper into our God-given identity. But what about when you are struggling through that experience of gender dysphoria? Joining me today is a licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparo, and we're discussing what to do if you're experiencing gender dysphoria, what the church has to say about this. We're also going to cover an important topic of what about making changes to our bodies, what the church teaches on what they refer to in a recent letter, the technological manipulation of the human body, what's okay and what isn't. This is relevant because today a lot of people are talking about therapeutic gender-affirming surgery. We used to call it sex changes. That's not used as often as it used to, but at the end of the day, the church is pointing at this as bodily mutilation. So we're going to look at some of the ancient teaching of the church on what it's had to say, actually, about technological advancements and what we can and can't use when it comes to technology and medicine, while still acknowledging the good and great efforts and impact of medicine as well. We'll also discuss celibacy for the kingdom of heaven and what to do with cursed objects. This has been a big topic over the last couple of weeks with the upcoming event of Halloween, also known as All Hallows Eve. I'll link in the episode notes to a Catholic take on Halloween. I think it's really important that we celebrate it as the Catholic holiday that it is instead of maybe having two extremes of rejecting all things Halloween. We shouldn't because it's Catholic, but also we don't want to embrace those elements that celebrate paganism, that celebrate the birthday of magic as is the day that they've also chosen of October 31st. That is they as in the Satanists and witchcraft Wicca to celebrate that. So I dive into all of those topics I think are really important. But for today's conversation, again, we'll touch on that later, what to do with cursed objects or if you think an object is cursed because it's an easy solution. And today we're talking though to the issue of if you're facing gender dysphoria, discomfort in your own skin, Michael Gasparo is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He is on the front line with approaching the gender disorientation that's occurring in our culture. 
culture from experiencing same-sex attraction to gender dysphoria. And Michael, when I was reading a recent letter that came up uh, by Archbishops Corleone in San Francisco and Bishop Barber in Oakland, they wrote a letter on the unity of the body and the soul and the human person, specifically speaking into the crisis right now surrounding gender identity. And they have this excellent paragraph where they hone in on if you experience gender dysphoria. And I thought this would be really beneficial to walk through together with you, especially with your expertise, but also being a son of the church and what the church teaches in the midst of navigating this really challenging uh, issue today that a lot of people, more common than we realize, are suffering from today. Yeah, there's so much unpack here together. So I'm excited to talk about all of it, especially this body-soul unity of the human person, which really has been impactful in my own life, Timory, of helping me embrace my male sexual identity and also my belovedness as a child of God and the totality of what that means being body and soul, but truly one. And I love that you mentioned that too, because we've dove into your own story in the past as well. You don't just practice marriage and family therapy, helping people who are struggling with dysphoria, but you've also experienced challenges with your sexuality as well. And I think that's part of what is very powerful about your testimony as well, as you're able to speak to that side of it. Now, when I was looking at this letter, we walked through some of it earlier this week. I want to focus in on the parts where it speaks, if you are struggling with your identity, where the letter says, Jesus reminds us, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. It's from John chapter 10, verse 10. And Bishops Corleone and Barber touch on how they say our lives, even our very identity, can seem to us at times to be a mystery. And they go on to say they can be a source of confusion, perhaps, even anguish and suffering. And I think this summarizes in many respects the pain that many people are are facing today. The mystery of our body, the confusion, the disorientation, and even the anguish and suffering that can come along with it. And maybe they're saying, well, why would God allow me to be in this place? Or maybe they just embrace whatever they feel like because of that mystery and confusion, anguish and suffering. Can you speak to this and how to walk through this with the guidance of the church and sound therapy? Well, I think one good angle to consider is there are a variety of reasons as to potential factors as to why somebody experiences this. They may be similar between different people, maybe different reasons. So what the church does more so than provide the why, they, uh, in terms of the, uh, the causes of these issues, the church provides a sound example of what good looks like. So here's the ideal of the human person and then provide some encouragement on how to unpack the why or how to seek healing. But this is where therapy and the church can work together, where the realm of psychology tends to be more interested in the natural, and the church tends to focus here on the supernatural. And they can be paired, and they should be uniform in their approach, meaning that they're synchronous with one another. And what I'll be more practical speaking here. Let's say you know a 15-year-old girl comes to therapy and she says, I don't feel like I'm in the right body. Well, the church mm -hmm. can make sure that the therapist or the family has the truth to know that's not true. That the reality is being man or being woman is a reality which is good and willed by God. However, then pastorally, how do we accompany that young woman? Well, the psychological sciences have looked a lot at what could be contributing to this dysphoria. And sometimes it may be something like 
an autism spectrum disorder that could be contributing to discomfort in the body. Other times it could be trauma, some kind of molestation, and other times it could be a variety of complicated social, family, environmental, biological factors that over time medical doctors, therapists, and, and priests can and pastoral accompaniment can lead towards healing for that person. Either way, you don't have to go in the dark, searching in the dark for answers. If you're wondering about this topic, the church has thought it through very thoroughly. I love this answer that you gave, that psychology focuses on the natural and the church focuses on the supernatural. And the two go hand in hand because God created our bodies. He knows the blueprint of the human person. He intended us for good. And I love this line in the document from Archbishop Cordelioni and Bishop Barber on the topic of gender dysphoria. They say, specifically, if you're struggling with gender dysphoria, it says, know that your life is not a mystery to God who isn't who has counted every hair on your head, as we read in Luke chapter 12, verse 7. They go on to say, who created your inmost beings and God who knit you together in your mother's womb. We read this all throughout sacred scripture that God knows us. He chose us and he chose us for a mission. But sometimes, whether, as you mentioned, maybe there's a past trauma, maybe there's a wound from birth, such as autism or that developed later on. Maybe there's a complication, as you mentioned, that occurred during life, socially, familially, biologically, that can be influencing gender dysphoria. But at the end of the day, God created us with purpose. He didn't make a mistake in our maleness and femaleness, and he knows us, and we're no mystery to him. I found that very, very powerful, not just for someone who may be struggling, if you're struggling with gender dysphoria, but for everyone who at a certain point in their life has a discomfort in their bodiliness, in their maleness and femaleness. But we live at a time right now, Michael, in our culture, where the culture says, well, then you must not be a man or you must not be a woman. Look at transitioning, look at suppressing. And that's what's startling about what's happening today. Yeah, and, and beyond even suppressing, or I would say, you know, transitioning, it's just, I guess suppressing is a good word for it. Um, I, I think suppressing is a good word for it when you say that you're going to reject your own identity. And that sexual identity, according to the church, is based in biological reality. So it's really important that we know the church is helping us to flourish. The moral life is the happy life. It's not that we're going to be perfectly happy in this life. We won't reach perfect happiness until we're in heaven with God in the next life. But in this life, the, the path of God, the narrow path, leads towards flourishing, not towards harm. And that's the good news. We have to remember, Timory, this is good news. We don't need to get into a battle of negativity with people who are disagreeing with us over this. I think we should feel inspired as a church to share the good news of the gospel, that God wants our wholeness and our freedom and our, and our best, our joy. And I think that's so powerful when we present it from that perspective, Michael, because right now there's a battle with regard to gender where even the pro-transgender initiatives say, okay, you guys are just all about biology. That's all you're focused on. Because for the longest time, I think we were really winning the battle. We kept using science and data and biology and sociology, looking at what happens when you transition, what happens when you reject the biological reality. But even I'm seeing in the pro-transgender mindset, they're giving that ground say, well, you're just focused on biology. And there's a difference between what we feel like as a soul, what we feel and what we experience. And it tries to separate all of these different elements of who we are in 
our totality of male and female. And this is why this letter, I think, is very powerful from the bishops, Archbishop Corleone and Bishop Barber here in California, because they see this as a real crisis. It's becoming more and more common. And maybe you yourself are struggling with this. And I love where they say in the document, Michael, and if you're just joining me, that's licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gusbrow, who's on the forefront of working with people who experience same-sex attraction. He has as well in the past or who are experiencing gender dysphoria. The letter goes on to say, God is not far off or indifferent to your questioning, to our challenges, to our suffering. He comes to meet us in them and to reveal to us the depth of his love and mercy. Michael, that line from the bishops was, I think, a real reminder that even in our suffering and challenges and disorientation or the mystery of getting to know our own bodies, he's right there with us helping us to come to embrace our identity through his love and through his mercy. But often when we experience some adverse lifestyle from what the church teaches, we tend to reject God or run from God or criticize what the church teaches or reject some elements of it and just subscribe to others. Why should people, if you are facing this gender dysphoria, embrace what the church is teaching here and listen to these words of the bishop in guiding us? A little bit and answer that in a slightly different angle, Timory, which is if you are somebody who's trying, because a lot of times what I hear are stories about Timory is there are people that have already, let's say, really rejected for now at least the church's teaching on this, and they're they're really not interested in this conversation. Maybe they're living in the lifestyle and they don't really listen to things like relevant radio right now, let's say. But there may be people, and I hear a lot of stories of people, of friends and of clients that were pursuing life according to the church's teachings, trying and seeking healing and trying to live their life and then just feeling so frustrated that their healing didn't look like they wanted it to. The path wasn't as smooth as they thought it would be. Their ability to follow the commandments was harder than they thought or they were failing or they feel discouraged because they don't see a path forward for their life. They lose hope. And I want to address first to start those people who aren't like totally hardened, but are just struggling with like hanging on to hope. And Mm -hmm. I think what is really helpful for me is to remember the words of the psalmist, similar to what the bishops quoted before that, that quote of I knit you in your mother's womb. It's in that same Psalm, Lord, I praise you for the wonder. I praise and thank you for the wonder of my being. Um, But we also hear in moments of other psalms, Lord, open my lips that I be able to. Mm, I love that line, Michael, where you said, I praise and thank you for the wonder of my being. I think as a culture, especially just the way we live in suburbia, we tend to miss the mystery and awe of all of creation that God has made. And I do think this is a part of this gender discord crisis in our culture. I think because we've fallen so far away from admiring and being in wonder and awe at God's creation, sometimes we, or should I say oftentimes, myself included, have a hard time being in awe of the very work of God in my own life, in the life of others, the creation, even just looking at the mystery of how plants, animals, the ecosystem, and all of it functions, why is it we can have such a great sense of awe and wonder when it comes to the rest of creation, yet for some reason we think that we're just malleable as human beings, uh, made, what should I say, 
an option for manipulation and alteration, which we're going to talk about the church's teaching on technological advancements on the body later. But where you said this, Michael, earlier of hang on to hope for the psalmist right in the Psalms, in the inspired word of God, I praise and thank you for the wonder of my being. Do we have that sense of awe and respect and honor at the creation God made in you and I? Now, Michael, I love where you mentioned where do we go? What should we do? If you are struggling with gender dysphoria, you're trying to subscribe to what the church teaches, you're frustrated with your healing process, it's not going as well or as smoothly or as quickly as you hope, what do you do? I think one of the key things I have to say on the supernatural front that always influences our natural human body is frequent reception of the sacraments, reception of our Lord Jesus Christ worthily in human in holy communion, to also through that to go to confession. If we're struggling, if we're rejecting the very creation of our identity, that means we're failing to worship God. That's breaking the first commandment. We're failing to worship God by having a sense of respect for the very creation He's made in and of ourselves. And so I challenge you, if you are at that point, as Michael mentioned earlier, of trying and frustrating with your healing journey, have that hope that Michael was talking about, but also turn to that frequent reception of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and and turning to him in confession. Because I know that God is so powerful in pouring his graces upon us. And when we grow closer to him, supernaturally, we draw closer to him materially. And that is key in this journey. Michael, what else do you recommend if you're on that cusp of just feeling frustrated and trying to walk, as the church calls us, to our male and female identity while still experiencing gender dysphoria? Well, again, just to reemphasize, I think remind yourself that God wants your happiness more than you want it for yourself. So God wants our good more than we want it for ourselves. And two, find people that can be encouragement to you so that they are going to provide you with positive resources and support you in in getting up again when you fall or feel confused. And be mindful of what you're taking in, the media you're consuming, the way you're like reflecting on your day, the news you're watching, because the, the narrative is very strong that Pope Francis calls ideological colonization, which the bishops quoted Pope Francis on this matter, that gender ideology is a, a, a insidious form of ideological colonization. So we should guard our hearts and minds and be very aware of what we're exposing ourselves to in terms of the narratives on this topic. I think these are great guiding marks to engage in and be aware. Maybe take some time to take note of what in terms of media is pointing us in a different direction that's influencing our sexuality, our disorientation, our confusion, or leading us in a direction towards sin. I think that's a really good evaluation all of us need to do, not just if we're struggling with gender dysphoria, but if you are influenced by what's happening in the culture right now that says, you do you, it doesn't matter. Don't subscribe to what the church teaches. But also, I love that you mentioned positive resources and positive encouragement from friends. Who are you spending time with? What resources are you, are you surrounding yourself with? Now, with regard to resources, could you just touch, Michael, on a few resources? I know one you and I love is the Person Identity Project. We'll link to Person mm-hmm. Identity. Uh, we have some of the great creators of Person Identity here regularly who talk a lot to the beauty of the human person as the church teaches and is consistent with social sciences. What other resources do you recommend? Well, I've heard a lot of great things recently about Ruah Woods Institute, which is 
providing curriculum for many schools and homeschools included for people who want to address these issues with their children at an age-appropriate level. And a great supplemental set of resources that I shared recently with you is called Theology of the Body Parent School based out of Portland. And they have magazines that run on a cycle, a three-year cycle is the end goal, but I think they have one or two years completed now. And they have age-appropriate, I would call them almost like workbooks. They're short, they're small, they're very good visually, and they distill concepts of theology of the body, of the goodness of the human person, male and female, and complementarity to age-appropriate levels, starting from age two to five, and then working all the way up through college level. And that, I, I love their resource, Timory, because Theology of the Body Parent School isn't trying to empower parents to be the primary educators of their children and to really feel confident taking that responsibility on as the church empowers them to do so. I think that these are excellent resources. You, we mentioned person identity. We mentioned Theology of the Body Parent School. They have, as you mentioned, great magazine resources that we're actually looking into here on Trending. So we'll present those with more information on that soon. And then you mentioned the Ruad Woods Institute. Can you spell that, Ruad Woods Institute, you said? Yeah, it's R-U-A-H and then Woods, like yep. trees, Institute. And the okay, Ruad we'll Woods the Institute inspired... Um, you know, the woman, Lindsay Karen is her name, who started Theology of the Body Parent School with her uh, other colleagues. And they were following the Rural Woods Institute curriculum for their children because Lindsay Karen, the founder of Theology of the Body School, Parent School, is an educator herself. And they decided to try to create resources that could be supplemental to things like this curriculum. So you, a lot of these things are synchronous with one another. You know, this one resource does not have to be at the cost of another resource, they could support each other. So a lot of these resources are really synchronous. Excellent resource. We're linking those in the episode notes for today's show, along with information from Michael Gasparro and some of these wonderful church teachings and letters that we have been diving into today. That's licensed in marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro today on Trending. If you have a question for him, the number is 888-914-9149. Again, if you have a question for Michael, our toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of order of Forrester's Life Insurance. I'll be back in just a moment with Michael Gasparo. And the topic that is so prevalent when it comes to the gender issue is so-called therapeutic surgery, therapeutic treatment, also known as sex changes. We'll call it bodily mutilation. Why is that? We're actually going to dive into the church's teaching on the technological manipulation of the human body due to the latest technology and sciences and some guiding posts for what is and is not allowed when we alter our bodies. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. A big welcome to you if you're listening in the state of Ohio. We are so excited today. We went live broadcasting on a new station in the Cincinnati and Dayton areas in Ohio. WNKN 105.9 an FM, FM station I'm so excited shout out if you're in Ohio if you're listening now let us know we'd love to hear from you and I'm praying for you if you're in that state fighting in the face of issue one that if passed if voted on the ballot if people vote yes which we don't want to know a yes vote we need a no vote as we're being called to vote as Catholics to make sure you are voting 
no on issue one that would alter your state constitution to give unfettered access to abortion, not just abortion for adults, but abortion for minors without any parental notification or consent. Also, it would. This is what's scary. Just like some of the other state constitutional amendments, this abortion amendment would also make it so that women and and boys and girls could go through with cross-sex puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, with cross-sex surgery, which we're going to talk about in a moment here, without parental notification or consent. Adults can engage in bodily mutilation and experimentation on the backs of children without any knowledge on the part of the parent or without any permission. These are life-altering and damaging surgeries. And we're actually going to talk a little bit about what the church does and doesn't allow on that topic. We've discussed this before with plastic reconstructive surgeons as well, but I want to talk today to this issue with Michael Gaspar. And by the way, that's issue one in Ohio. The Catholics the Catholics are being called to vote no on it. And by the way, it wouldn't even change the abortion law in the state of Ohio. It would just not allow for unfettered access on abortion. So even if you're pro-abortion, this actually doesn't decrease or increase access to abortion per se based on the current law. So I think that's important. This is a common ground area where we should all be able to say no to protect children against abortion and against bodily mutilation, surgery, cross-sex hormones, and harmful puberty blockers. So again, that's an issue in Ohio. No vote. I'm going to link on social media as well as in the episode notes to conversations we've had with people who are on the front line in Ohio hoping to lead the campaign against issue one. So be sure to check that link out. Join me now is licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro. Michael, you and I have had the opportunity over the last, oh goodness, about seven, eight years to work on this issue of gender ideology and same-sex attraction. You work on it, especially from the perspective of therapy and are a son of what the church teaches. And I was recently reading earlier this year a new letter that came out from the Committee on Doctrine from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Now, this is a great letter, and we've not really touched enough on it yet, and so I wanted to start that conversation today with you. This letter is titled The Doctrinal Note on the Moral Limits to Technological Manipulation of the Human Body. And what it's all about is really addressing how technology has come so far. It has a vast range of means, as the letter says, for chemical, surgical, and genetic alteration and modification of the body and appearance, even function and appearance. But it also gives warning to what is and is not morally illicit in the church and what that function should be when we actually use medical technologies for good in a way that honors the natural functioning of the body. I know you've read through this letter as well, and I'd love to hear some of your thoughts, both from the perspective as a therapist and someone who's worked with people struggling. And if you're struggling, we talked about that on this issue of gender dysphoria. I really liked how the bishops were very nuanced in their ability to hold space for pastoral accompaniment with people who are suffering, but also remain stalwart in their conviction of the teachings, the traditional teachings of the church. And they really echo Pope Francis, who is the current leader of our church in the seat of Peter. And I think often the news tends to Whatever you want to believe about him is each person's individual conscience to decide, but the news tends to use anything he says in this regard towards a liberal perspective with ignoring anything he says towards a traditional perspective. And Pope Francis, they quote him in this actual document that says, 
It needs to be emphasized that biological sex and the sociocultural role of sex can be distinguished but not separated. It is one thing to be understanding of human weakness and the complexities of life, and another to accept ideologies that attempt to surrender what are inseparable aspects of reality. Then he goes on, Tim to say, Let us not fall into the sin of trying to replace the Creator. We are creatures and not omnipotent. Creation is prior to us and must be received as a gift. At the same time, we are called to protect our humanity, and this means, in the first place, accepting it and respecting it as it was created. Those are powerful words, Timory, from、mm. Pope Francis against gender ideology. And so I'm very tired of people in the Catholic Church in the United States and in the Christian West galvanizing around LGBTQ ideologies as though they're integral or you're able to integrate them with the Catholic faith. You, it's simply、mm. not possible. Yeah. And you come at this from the perspective of a son of the church and a therapist working with young men and women, adult men and women who are struggling with gender disorientation. And I appreciate how tired you are of people trying to say this is conducive with our Catholic faith. This is why we touch on this issue very intensely. People call me all the time and ask, why does Timory talk so much about this topic on air? And it's because it's fundamentally about who we are as men and women. And in this letter that came out From the USCCB earlier this year on the technological manipulation of the human body, the bishops are encouraging us to careful moral discernment, they say, with regard to the possibilities that should and could be realized or should not be realized with regard to promoting our good as human beings. And they really emphasize that the church looks at the dawn of creation, Genesis chapters one and two, where we look at the created order and God creates all. All of the world and sees a human person as very good fundamentally. God doesn't make mistakes. There is a law, there's truth, there's order. And I love where they quote Pope Benedict the 16th as well, where he explains that the natural world has an inbuilt order. In other words, a grammar that sets forth ends for the criteria for its wise use and not its reckless exploitation. And so it talks about the technology paradigm that we're in today. And I always say, just because we can, Michael. Does that mean that we should? For example, you have、yeah. young boys. Let's say a young boy comes to you and says, I don't feel like a boy. He's struggling with his male identity. I think of someone such as Ollie London or Abel Garcia, who had very serious wounds with regard to their relationships with their fathers. And because of those dynamics, Each very different and unique circumstances with each of their fathers, and they've shared their testimony here on Trending. They've each shared that because of that interaction with their fathers, they rejected all that was male. They didn't want to be like that type of man that was being presented or encouraged or lived out by their father. And so you bring that to the forefront where then they say, well, I want to go through with cross sex surgery or, or, Hormone blocking、uh, drugs. Some people today, such as Kaiser Permanente, are saying, sure, go ahead, go forward with it. And I think that's what's frightening. We're not addressing it from a therapeutic perspective, but instead from a mutilation perspective and long term damage with regard to chemicals. Yeah, and I think you're right that. When we talk about this, oftentimes people, detractors may say, Why are you so fixated on this? Why are you focused on this? I'm thinking about individual people, not just、mm. a culture war. The impact that this has on actual human beings who are sold a, a lie about their identity and that leads them down a different path 
which is less flourishing. Uh, one of my friends is a professor at the St. John Seminary in Archdiocese of Los Angeles and was talking about the emotional life with various people she was surveying. And Catholics tended to say, well, as long as they knew they weren't morally culpable for something, let's say like a feeling that came up because it was just a, an emotion, it wasn't an action, so it wasn't not to sin, they just didn't really care one way or the other. In other words, once, once they realized their moral culpability might be lessened, then they were less concerned with the outcome. Well, why am I bringing that up? Because there are complexities of life, like Pope Francis mentioned, which may impact the moral culpability of somebody engaged in a lifestyle that is not in accord with church teaching. There may be a variety of factors like abuse or trauma or other kinds of developmental disorders. So it is not for my person, me, Michael Gasparro, to be the judge and jury of somebody else's moral culpability before God. God is alone the judge of souls. But why should we settle for just saying, well, maybe they're not as culpable and leave it at that? Why should we settle for things less than human flourishing? Don't we want a beautiful vision to paint for people for having the most freedom, the most joy, the most flourishing in their lives as possible? And I think that I've seen from some of the, let's say, less traditional archbishops or people in the church fixate only on moral culpability as an excuse for not pointing people towards the teachings of the church when I think flourishing should be at the heart of this conversation, including bodily flourishing, like your reproductive organs, which matter and God made and stitched together. And even if you don't plan on having children, your reproductive organs functioning properly actually have to do with your health still. And I think that's really key. And that's why this doctrinal letter actually dives into the, some of the older teachings of the church on this idea of altering the body and as you're saying michael if we believe that the human person is good if we believe that god created the human person then we believe that there are parameters and rules as to how we function as human beings and that brings us to a very fundamental understanding of our human anthropology michael and that is that we are given our bodies we are given our bodies and at creation at conception we receive our body and soul they're not separate beings where body and soul and our human nature is influenced by that and i think that even when we suffer in our body when there are things that have gone wrong when our psychology is struggling we have to recognize that god didn't get the body wrong and that he and i think some people might think well god maybe he got the body wrong and he'll just make it right in heaven that's not the case. No, gl God glorifies the body that he gave us when we enter into heaven. And I think this is why sometimes a conversation about the resurrection of the body is of benefit when we engage in this whole issue as well. Yeah, and think about our teachings in the church around Mary's assumption into heaven, mm. that she is body and soul in heaven. And even that many popes and saints have said that we may piously believe that St. Joseph was even assumed body and soul to heaven, mm -hmm. although the church yes. has not spoken dogmatically on that. And so in my pious belief, I believe that St. Joseph and Mary are together, body and soul in heaven. Their bodies and souls are united and truly one in heaven with God. That helps me to know that my body is good and that this is a gift and that the saints and angels and the Lord in heaven want me to accept and receive the goodness of this gift and not be at war with myself. A house divided cannot stand. Mm -hmm. So in order to help us receive God's love with more freedom, we are first just called to, in contemplative receptivity, acknowledge the gift of ourselves, body and soul, good. <laughs> mm-hmm.
Yes. And, you know, this brings us back to this whole idea of, well, what is and isn't allowed with regard to technological manipulation, as the church refers to it. That is, altering our bodies with use of medicine and technology. It points to the need for respect for the natural order and when it comes to technology for the sake of restoring the natural order. So, the function and appearance of the body. Because we could talk about these differently. Function is one thing, appearance is another. Both are important. We can't throw away one or the other. And when discussing this, the church does touch on this much in the history of the church and it's being reiterated yet again, the constant teaching of the, teaching of the church in this doctrinal note from the USCCB earlier this year. And it emphasizes the importance of recognizing the object of the act, that is the person involved in this technology, the intention that's being undertaken, the consequence of mm -hmm. the action, but also comparing this with both the benefits and the expected burdens as a result of any technological means used in appearance and function of the body. And Michael, it appears back to Pope Pius Twelfth, Pope Pius XI, and understanding the importance of subordinating our bodies to what the church sees as the vision of the human person that's laid out for us in sacred scripture. And I know it's very hot topic too, Timbery, to talk about care of creation, which is important, right? So we have mm -hmm. care of our common home, Laudato Si, written by Pope Francis, um, about the environment. And let's not be mistaken here, the environment is a gift from God to us. So if we want to have an authentic environmental care for the gift of our common home, we have to start with the gift of ourselves. Otherwise, we're not going to have a properly ordered care for creation at all. So God created us gift. And, you know, the same psalm I quoted earlier when I said, we praise and thank you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you for the wonders of all your creation. So the order of operation for the psalmist was to first thank and praise God for the wonders of his being and then for the wonders of all creation. And I think if you dismiss your own beautiful gift of yourself from God that you've received, you're more likely to also not have an authentic care for the home you've been given, the environment. Mm. And so Pope Pius XII, when talking about the beauty of our creation, talks about how it is important to look to the physical beauty of the body, but that beauty, physical beauty, should not be subordinate to other goods that in other words like we shouldn't put physical beauty first that there are also spirit essential spiritual elements bodily good functions that need to be honored and respected as a good and a gift from God and so appearance is important but it shouldn't be the one that's highest esteemed and cared for as Pope Pius XII said many years ago that's great and as this document also highlights, what, if, what is true of creation as a whole is true of human nature in particular. There is an order in human nature that we are called to respect. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that the bishops are highlighting that. We are called to yes. respect it for our own good. Just like when we say at Mass, the priest, we hear the priest say, we offer our praises which add nothing to God's greatness but profit us for our salvation. When we respect creation in the order we received it, it's for our good. <laughs> It's not because God is a tyrant and a narcissistic dictator. He is not. He is a good, loving father who wants us to flourish. I want to touch on a few other points that this letter covers. If you're just joining me, that's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro. Michael, in the letter, it talk, cites a lot of Pope Pius XII and also his predecessor, Pope Pius XI, long before the time of all of these technologies with regard to 
cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, and so-called therapeutic, therapeutic affirming surgeries such as so-called sex changes. You can't change your sex. You can manipulate the appearance. But both Bias the 11th had a lot of guidance in terms of how we utilize uh, functional mutilation potentially. And he talks about three key criteria. First, he talks about the functioning of of the particular organ and organism as a whole and whether or not there's serious damage that constitutes a threat where the treatment may be needed. So again, he's addressing if there's damage and the wholeness of the person to be treated. Second, he touches on the fact that this it needs to be acknowledged if this damage being done that has occurred to the body cannot be avoided, then perhaps we can look at the effectiveness of some type of mutilation. But at the end of the day, it goes on to emphasize the importance of addressing any negative effects, weighing the positive effects, and making sure that we acknowledge any danger to the whole organism. And so he's addressing essentially the importance of function for the good functioning of the person, not feelings as we tend to focus on with regard to so-called gender-affirming therapeutic care today. Right, and I think a great practical example of this would be, imagine somebody had cancer, a woman had cancer in her uterus. It is mm-hmm. mutilating to her body to remove the uterus. Mm-hmm. But most people, if someone is experiencing terminal cancer, will allow that it is morally permissible to remove the uterus so as to remove the cancer. The, the, the mutilation is an effect, essentially, of trying to do a greater good for the body, to save the body. But that's very different than trying to remove somebody's genitals because they don't feel psychologically in communion with the reality of their body-soul unity. Mm. And I think that's an excellent example of, again, the intention is never to go in and remove, right, the woman's proper functioning in order to have children and even just function day-to-day in her body as God created it if she has cancer in her uterus and other areas. And again, that's life-threatening. And some people try to claim that gender dysphoria is life-threatening, but you and I have talked on countless occasions about the data surrounding the experience surrounding suicide and disorientation and mental health, and that the backing in the therapeutic community, the secular therapeutic community internationally is not supporting transition today, especially for minors. And I think that's very key. That's Michael Asparrow here on Trending with Timory. Michael, I always appreciate your keen insights and guidance on this issue as you work on the front line with those in our church, not in our church, who are struggling with gender identity. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've linked to him on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, as well as in the episode notes. We're adding some great resources on some people who have been there, done that, transitioned, regretted their transition. They're known as the detransitioners, and they've shared their stories here on Trending. Ollie London, Abel Garcia, Chloe Cole, and others. Incredible testimony to this issue on the front line. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. November is the month of the holy souls in purgatory. They need our prayers because they cannot pray for themselves. The annual Relevant Radio Holy Souls Novena is November 2nd through the 10th. 
take advantage of this opportunity to pray for your deceased loved ones and do it with Relevant Radio. We can pray together. Go to relevantradio.com slash souls. That's relevantradio.com slash souls to submit the names of your loved ones so that we can pray with you. Now, Father Rocky is also going to send you his reflections daily during the novena on the topic of our dearly departed loved ones and purgatory. But also, we're going to be praying together the Daily Mass, Divine Mercy Chaplet, Family Rosary Across America, all for our departed loved ones here on Relevant Radio. So check out relevantradio.com slash souls. Okay, so earlier this week and the week before, we've talked a lot about topics around the occult, witchcraft, Satanism, and It's been a fantastic conversation that is challenging for us, I think, right now with the prevalence of everything from Wicca and Satanism on college campuses and with stats coming out showing that 40%, 40% of those aged 15 to 25 are using crystals and other things in ways that are witchcraft. This is concerning. So one of the topics that came up, so we'll link to some of those episodes because I think it's important we're having a conversation, especially if you know young people about this, but also being aware of what is superstition, what is witchcraft, and what is holy. This is a clear distinction. What better time to think about it than around now with Halloween coming up? So one of the topics that came up included jewelry that is actually touted by companies such as Alex and Ani and others to actually use People who engage in witchcraft, Wicca, and some of the other things, and they actually curse or uh, do different things with objects that are not good, that are harmful, and that we shouldn't be wearing these objects if they're so. Now, this is startling because Alex and Annie actually has religious jewelry that they're selling. Now, they have even on their website that these receive so-called blessings from secular people who are involved in witchcraft. And it's interesting because I shared earlier this week when I just learned this, I think a week or so ago, I shared that there's a bracelet I actually have from Alex and Annie. And I've always had this weird aversion to wearing it, which isn't like me. It's a bangle. It's gold. It's It has religious symbols on it. It's Catholic. And every time I wore it, it like aggravated me. I took, take and put, put it away, wouldn't wear it. Long story short, one of the questions that came up is, what do we do with these items? If we think or know that they have may have received some sort of curse or something on them. Well, here's the deal. I was talking to a couple priests about this, and we were wondering, is an exorcism necessary? And the priest said, no, you just need to have it blessed by your priest. So take these objects, have them blessed, and be at ease with this, because I was really wondering how that needed to be navigated. Now, a topic came up earlier this week. Melissa ended up emailing me, and she was concerned also about the amber teething necklaces, which I think is a great question. I was always amazed by these amber teething necklaces when I didn't have kids, and I've not used them yet as a mom, and I had a little bit of an aversion to it. I haven't done my research on it, but here's the deal. There are tons of objects. There are even types of wood and rocks that can soothe pain. I mean, this is part of where medicine comes from. God's creation can be used for healing properties, for soothing properties as well. But there's a big difference between using God's creation and using those things to channel bad energy, bad spirits, whether it be crystals, rocks, that is witchcraft when we use it in that way. 
And a lot of young people are using crystal, crystals and rocks and even herbs in that way. You can use herbs as much as you want for medicinal and good cooking. But there's a serious difference when we're invoking spirits and energy and turning to the earth to use this object for various means. I mean, a lot of these crystals now are being used uh, to help impact love and relationships. There's so much more that could be said. We discussed it over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to link to some of those episodes. But again, recognize the difference between God's creation. And if you are concerned that something may have received some sort of curse or be a part of the occult, have it blessed and then be at peace with using the great gift of creation that God has given us that can help in soothing and healing the body because God created everything from the crystals to the rocks to the plants. So don't allow the occult to usurp everything from Halloween to even those great things that can be used in the day-to-day to make life a little easier as a parent or to enjoy something beautiful such as a bracelet. So again, get your items blessed when in doubt or just as a precaution. That's great. And move along and be at peace because again, this whole topic is prevalent and important. I'm glad that these questions are being asked. You're listening to Trending with Tim Wright here on Relevant Radio. Tomorrow on Trending, we are getting into the meat of the theology of the body. We're going to talk about celibacy for the kingdom of heaven. This is a really important topic. It's relevant There's a lot of conversation right now surrounding celibacy and the priesthood. There's a lot of conversation surrounding sexuality inside and outside of marriage, whether it's not required to be faithful and persistent in maintaining a sense of chastity both in and out of marriage. Uh, And I think it's interesting because right now, even the debate that you're hearing from people inside and outside of the church or just people, I was talking to someone a few years ago about some of the scandals in the church, and she commented of, well, what else do you expect when you expect people to be celibate? And I laughed because that's a very Freudian perspective to have, that we can't control ourselves as human beings and that everything is motivated by our nethers. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yet, what Pope St. John Paul II said in his Theology of the Body series is very profound and is relevant to all of us, not just priests, not just religious sisters, to honor, love, and cherish what celibacy is because Jesus Christ himself spoke about it. And something a little mind-blowing that maybe you haven't considered, all members of the Holy Family, from the Blessed Virgin Mary to St. Joseph, her chaste spouse, to Jesus, lived a celibate life. What does that tell us about our human anthropology? That's what we're going to discuss on Trending tomorrow in the Theology of the Body series. And I think you'll really enjoy it and have a greater respect and honor for the custom of priestly celibacy. Funny story the other day, I was doing what's called a mic check where, you know, as a radio host, you're supposed to listen to yourself. It can be somewhat agonizing sometimes. It's a great way to critique and improve. But I was listening in the car with my two-year-old and she's going, huh, there are two mamas. There's one right there and there's one right there. And I was going laughing so hard as she kept saying, two mamas, what is this? And it just made me think about how kids are such sponges and they're perceptive. And so many conversations can be had about two moms, one mom, but it was a fun moment where I realized this is a great parenting moment to remember to be aware of guiding our children and navigating these issues. 
Have you considered getting sterilized, for example, tubal ligation? Is this a moral family planning alternative to contraception and abortion? This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Friday on Trending, medical doctor Susan Caldwell joins me to discuss this and that a lot of women are being told by medical professionals they can't have children or it would be next to impossible. Are there medical conditions that could prevent you from having kids? We'll discuss with Dr. Caldwell. Join me 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.